0: the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: Good morning. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. And each week we invite you into the lounge <coughs> Excuse me to listen to the conversations that doctors have between themselves and doctors' lounges all across the country. We give you insight into what you need to know, the information that you need, so that you can advocate for your healthcare rights and freedom to make healthcare choices which are best for you and for your family. The Doctors' Lounge is sponsored by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to the doctor-patient relationship and the right to preserve healthcare freedom for everyone. Uh, the Docs for Patient Care Foundation is the only physician-led, physician-run healthcare care think tank in the country, um, and uh, uh, we encourage you to go to our website, www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org or make it easy, it's D4, the number 4, org and please make a tax-deductible contribution right now before you get off your computers today. Um, You'll be glad that you did so that we can continue to bring you high-quality shows like this one and continue to uh, produce the materials that we produce and do the work that we do. When you're on the website, please uh, go and uh, look through it. And, uh, excuse me, (coughs) some are cold. I feel like Hillary Clinton right now <coughs> the uh, you'll you'll uh, <coughs> excuse me you'll be um, glad that you uh, look through the website so that you can uh, familiarize yourself with the uh, health care information that you won't get in your local newspapers or on TV <coughs> today we have a very interesting show for you if I could stop coughing And uh, I'm very uh, glad to uh, uh, welcome into the Doctor's Lounge a good friend, Dr. Craig Wax, who is a family medicine physician in the great state of New Jersey. He is a talkmaster himself, hosting a weekly radio show up in his neck of the woods called Your Health Matters on Rowan Radio each week. I encourage everyone to listen, and you can follow Dr. Wax on on Twitter at IP4PI. It almost sounds like a urologic uh, 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 moniker. And uh, it's, for those of you who aren't familiar with palindromes, it's the same backwards and forwards. He's a prolific writer. He pens pieces on free market medicine for medical economics and other well-read online websites. So welcome into the Doctor's Lounge, Dr. Craig Wax.
2: Well, thank you very much, Dr. Hal Scherz. I appreciate the opportunity to be with another seasoned professional to share good information um, that desperately uh, needs thought and
1: action. You know, you've been on the radio for quite some time. You've hosted your own show since 2002, I believe. Correct. So um, we're seeing a lot of people, you know, we've we've only been doing this show a relatively short time compared to you, but we're seeing lots of doctors getting into radio, I don't know, maybe the need to educate or to reach more people than we can in our office. What got you into radio?
2: Well, it's interesting because I've always been interested in media since I was in high school back in the early 80s. We had a little black and white TV station that went color, which was exciting, and we used big, big, big tapes for uh, for recording (laughs) things, and, you know, I was always excited by audio, so I was somewhat of an audiophile, and uh, and then video, so I became kind of a videophile. And then um, throughout college and medical school, whenever something went wrong with a projector or some piece of technical equipment, everybody kind of murmured my name. The AV Squad. Um, and I kind of went walking up, and I, un- uh, I fixed the slides for the professor. So I was the first person of the New York College of Osteopathic Medicine to get the famed D-O-A-V degree, actually. <laughs> so that is to say, Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine of Audiovisual Doctorate <laughs>
1: A dove uh, as well.
2: <laughs> so um, having said that, um, in 1999 I was working at another office thinking, gee, um, is this all there is? I'm working for another person and I don't feel like I have opportunity, I'm not being invited to meetings, and, uh, you know, taking home a paycheck, caring for people, but I don't really feel invested, I don't feel, you know, like I'm doing my maximum, I didn't feel, forgive the gun analogy, locked and loaded, I didn't feel like I was doing my max, so in 1999, I, uh, after the internet was invented, I thought, you know what, I'll put up a website, and I'll see how that goes, and I'll just post some common-sense things, you know, uh, for people to, to look at, called healthisnumberone.com, spelled in words, onecom all spelled out. Um, and I put up some good information, and, you know, it was early. I mean, there weren't any web metrics or fancy things or what have you in 99, but, you know, I got a lot of feedback, and it, it helped me to um, get uh, Patients to know more because you know we had 15-minute office visits at the time. We hadn't been, you know, scraped down to seven by insurance and government tyranny yet. Um, which in the in the you know uh, two decades since we kind of have and uh, have had to try to make a different paths to travel. Um, you know, the path less traveled, as it were. Robert Frost. Um, having said all of that, I thought it was a great way to get patients to understand, like I would diagnose asthma and give them the treatment, but I'd want them to read about it, find out about it, how to prevent it. I mean, geez, you know, is it curable? What can we do? Uh, You know, so we worked on that. And then um, when I went in practice to myself with the support of my wife in 2001, I believe it was May 1st, 2001, you know, I had a kind of a virtual practice that is to set hours, but nobody necessarily was coming, and I was working two or three other part-time jobs to make it work. That was the time I connected with medical economics, and they said, gee, you know, this guy started a practice. He's one of four people we know of in the country that have done that. Hmm. You know, um, used to be more straightforward, and now it's, you know, all about insurance and compliance. You know, yeah. So, um, 2001 we got that started and we thought well it's going to be this or bust and i you know had uh, asked my wife who was a, a first grade teacher who i proposed to in front of her first grade class she was teaching um back in 97 that I must think. have been
1: exciting she
2: um <laughs> said you know what i'll quit my job i'll work for you and i'll you know and i said how will we take out loans how will we do this and she said you know Um, What you're going to do is you're going to work two or three other part-time jobs, and you're going to do it for a year and see how it works because, you know, you're not uh, good at working for other people. You like to be independent and try to steer in a patient-centric way, Um, and not employers don't wish to do that. Um, Hospitals don't, and big practices don't, and the VA doesn't, and the list goes on with the dozens. Um, She said if if after a year we're not looking up, will fire yourself and get another job. So, um at that point I thought, you know what? This is all going on and it's craziness, but you know, but it had a purpose and it had a meaning. Um uh, so I had to have um some grit and stick with it. And uh at that time I thought, you know what? I'm going to get into media and this is where the whole radio show story comes in.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well,
2: so Um, I thought, you know what, I really need to do this. I need to get into media. Uh, So I put feelers out there with emails and phone calls and faxes to um, the greater Delaware Valley, which includes southern New Jersey, southeastern Pennsylvania, which is the Philadelphia market and region, and northern Delaware. And I put all these feelers out there and I said, hey, doctor willing to volunteer time to educate people and improve the health of America. And the results I got were nil. (laughs) So I thought, well, gee, you know, America loves a volunteer. Let me keep trying to do this. So I uh, contacted lots of different people, and, you know, callbacks didn't happen. And I thought, well, there's got to be somebody out there that that sees this as a positive thing, as I do, to educate people um, in our region. But, you know, it became worldwide with the advent of Internet broadcasting as your show, um, Dr. Scherz. So having said that, um, I was politely persistent with the manager of Rowan Radio, who said, you know, I don't have time right now to talk about a show. We've got a show. The doctor's retiring. Um, Call me next month. So I thought, okay, I'll call you next month. So I called him next month. I said, it's me, young, enthusiastic doctor, to volunteer to do a show. And he said, well, you know, that doctor is retiring, and the show's kind of old, but I got, like, Uh, hundreds of shows in the can. You know what, call me next month. (laughs) So on we went to next month. So two months out, I called him again. I said, it's me, young, enthusiastic doctor, beating down your door. Let me come in. And he says, well, you know, it's exam time now. It's not a good time for me. Um, Call me next month. So three months out now, I didn't have enough, you know, um, knowledge and brain to drop off the line and, With all the other fish swimming downstream, I was swimming upstream. So the third month, I called him up, and I said, It's me. I'm not taking no for an answer. I'm going to come in on Thursday at 9 a.m., and let's talk for five minutes. And I said, Okay. And he said, Okay. So I came in, and I pitched the idea for an interview show. It's kind of uh, in a similar format to yours. It's a little shorter. It's 30 minutes actually 23 minutes if you delete commercials and things but it's on rowan radio 89.7 wgls fm and it's uh, on the web at rowan uh, wgls.rowan.edu um, but at any rate so it can be heard thursdays at 5:30 eastern but at any rate so i had come in after three months four months of being put off um not taking no for an answer and i walked in and i pitched my idea and this man who was about six inches shorter than myself and considerably older than myself reached out across the table to shake my hand and he said congratulations dr wax welcome to the rowan radio family you're a complete pain in the posterior and i know you'll show up
1: (laughs) and and Um, the rest is history
2: yeah so um politely persistent is what worked
1: we, you know, Two weeks ago, we interviewed Ben Carson, which was a great show, and I know you interviewed him last year, and that was also a fantastic show. Thank which, you. which Which I listened to. Who have been some of the more interesting guests that you've had on?
2: Well, we've had a lot of different guests. He was probably our most visible um, and even political um, healthcare care um, person that we've had on. We've had Nobel Prize-winning researchers from Denmark talking about dementia and Alzheimer's, um, and we've had um, folks from the different diet disciplines, Um, Dr. Neil Barnard, who advocates for a a vegetarian diet, he is the Physician's Committee for Responsible Medicine down in D.C., a personal friend and colleague as well. Um, We've interviewed uh, Dr. Robert Atkins, uh, the late Dr. Atkins of the Atkins diet, just to (laughs) talk about his you know issue with carbohydrates you know in my opinion he gets the animal fat thing wrong um permitting it but um he did say that carbohydrates the devil is in the details and he he was right about that and that bared mentioning also dr arthur Agatson behind the south beach diet um uh, he was also the um if you're into radiology the the guy behind the Agatson score that is to say uh the calcium score that Mm -hmm. Uh, when you are trying to decide if somebody's of high risk or not for vascular disease beyond risk factors and measurements and metrics and things, which are marginally useful, in my opinion.
1: Wow. It sounds like like you've had great guests. We're we're coming up to a break, Craig. So in the the next segment, we're going to change gears and talk about the stuff that I know you really like to talk about, which is uh, empowerment of physicians and and patients. And and we're going to talk about... um, what we're working on together through Docs for Patient Care, which is the Let My Doctor Practice initiative when we get back into the doctor's lounge.
4: Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org.
0: Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. My guest today is Dr. Craig Wax, uh, a, uh, a family doctor in New Jersey, a talk show host, a writer, and a uh, an advocate for patients, for their well-being, for the patient-doctor relationship and patient empowerment. Um, Craig, we um, uh, have launched through the work that you've done that we all really were involved with uh, a campaign which everybody in America should know about and and get behind, which makes common sense. It's Let My Doctor Practice. Um, Can you um, explain what this is and why it originated?
2: Uh, Sure. Uh, Thanks for that opportunity. Uh, Let My Doctor Practice uh, is a a movement um, that's now involved with the Doctors for Patient Care Foundation um, and the Physicians Foundation um, through the good graces of a a, a lot of fine folks who want to see patients empowered um, and um, the government, third parties, insurance, not steering the car. Uh, So, it all came out of a, a group of people uh, that called themselves United Physicians and Surgeons of America. And I think it was two or three years ago, we were all in um, Washington, D.C. We were meeting with uh, senators and uh, 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 House of Representatives, congressmen, talking about uh, the things of the day that really needed to be talked about, the issues with Obamacare, the federal takeover of uh, A large part of the economy, um, people's independence and rights, uh, unfortunately, and uh, and several industries, you know, the hospital industry, the health industry, the tech industry, the uh, physician industry. All the special Uh, interests. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we were meeting in Washington, D.C., and uh, uh, when we were going from office to office meeting with people, we met with uh, Senator Ted Cruz, for example, and uh, a lot of other great folks down in D.C. who are freedom fighters, and and they fight on principle and they fight tirelessly. So, having said that, I met um, a, a Dr. Strickland, a uh, Dr. Mike Strickland, who's a, a family doctor in the Ohio area, and uh, at the at the same time, uh, there was an article published. I believe it was in the Wall Street Journal. It was, uh, I think, a physician's declaration of independence. Um, uh, by a, a doctor, a Daniel Cravioto, uh, out of California, who's, I believe, an orthopedist. Uh, and at that time, he had said, enough is enough, we're done, we're not going to take this anymore, and we've got to fight for patients and give them their rights and their opportunities back, and we've got to oh, be atlas and kind of you know, shrug off all of the third parties in government and just work for patients again with their best interests, of course, paramount. So having said that, Dr. Strickland approached me and said, you know, hey, I've read a lot of your things. I've heard you on the web. Um, We have this organization called uh, United Physicians and Surgeons of America, uh, UPSA, I believe. And he said, we want you to be a part of this, and we're doing a movement, actually. uh, uh, We're getting all together in uh, Keystone, Colorado, and I believe that was about a year and a half ago now. And uh, he said uh, he said, "We want you to speak, and uh, we'd actually like you to host. We'd like you to help bridge one speaker to another speaker." And I was flattered and honored, um, and I was excited by the opportunity to make a difference because this potentially was an opportunity for people that are in it and fighting the battles every day for patients um, against insurmountable odds theoretically. Uh, we got together. And so I said, I'll do it, I'll do it. I said, what do you want me to speak on? I'll do it. And so one of my topics is electronic health records. You know, you can Google uh, EHR, electronic health records, and my name, Craig Wax, and you'll see presentations like EHR, security and privacy, mission impossible, um, EHR, remote control, and uh, um, there's another one on the uh, financial and... uh, uh, data capture of the practice of medicine by government and third parties um, for their own profit and benefit and not to profit patients or benefit patients. So um, that was the topic that I I spoke on, the regulatory capture of medicine and EHR. uh, And uh, another leader in the field of the regulatory capture I should just mention is Dr. Paul Kempin, um, who actually uh, in the 2011 time frame, held off maintenance of licensure in the state of Ohio, um, where Dr. Strickland practiced, because the government and the um, uh, physician, so-called physician leadership groups were trying to certify everybody to death, and not only that, take away your certification if you didn't pay and play um, on a yearly basis, as well as... Um, regulate the entire practice of medicine that we, you couldn't practice medicine if you couldn't keep your certification. So thanks to Dr. Uh, Kempen and the activities through AAPS, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons um, out of Arizona, which is at aapsonline.org for people uh, that are following up with that. So I had the opportunity to speak and I had the opportunity um um, to see the beauty of, of Colorado and some of the freedoms that exist there um they're sort of more libertarian i think than uh huh, both coasts both coasts easily although um, they're trying
1: to go down a different route in uh, November where they have uh a single payer initiative on their ballot so mm-hmm. that's that's a a uh an a, an unfortunate uh uh, event that uh, people are trying to to uh, educate the public about and, and uh, fight back with.
2: Oh, absolutely! Um, single payer um, almost came about in New Hampshire a few years ago as well. And interestingly enough, they realized
1: at Verm- the last Vermont, second, Vermont I believe. Uh, I think it was Vermont. Oh Vermont.
2: Vermont, I'm sorry. Okay. Right. Yeah, anything north of New Jersey gives me a nosebleed and it all kind of <laughs> runs together.
0: <laughs> so
1: Yeah, it was in the Bernie it was in Bernie Sanders territory and they realized yeah. that it was going to come in two billion dollars over budget, and they uh, just could not make it work. And f- unfortunately, we and we've had several people from Colorado on the show to talk about this issue. Unfortunately, in Colorado, um, it is seven times larger than Vermont, and they're they're thinking that they can make this work and make it. Um, at the worst, budget neutral. I think well, that's well, smoking you know, a little too um, much marijuana. Dr.
2: Shures, um, when it comes to Medicare, when it comes to Medicaid, or any other program where the government or Obamacare, which was founded on three fundamental lies told over and over again, um, and history has well established, if you tell lies over and over again by people in power, People start to believe it because they hear it and hear it and hear it, despite there being no data to support it and even data to the contrary. So having said that, um, single-payer fails miserably in lots of different ways. I've interviewed Dr. Merrily Fullerton, a family physician in Ottawa, Canada, for 30 years and she said when Canada went single-payer everybody thought hey this is just what we do for other people we're going to do this and it's going to work and trying to be ideal about it and we'll figure out the details later well decades later it's it's a mess and people aren't not only do they have to wait months to years for their cancer care which is ridiculous and and kills people fundamentally um uh, unfortunately so uh, not only that, you're not allowed to buy um, health care for cash. That is to say you can't pay for an appointment or pay for a test or pay for a surgery like you can at the uh, Oklahoma um, Surgery Center of Oklahoma, surgerycenterok.com on the web, where you can pay for a surgery completely by yourself. And interestingly enough, people from Canada have to traipse over the border into the United States, seventy
1: percent, seventy percent of all Canadians come get their Canadians. surgeries,
2: procedures, and medical care here, pay for it, and go home because they're not allowed to buy it in their own country. That's
1: correct. Seventy percent of all Canadians come across the border to get their care. But let's let's come back to the um, let my doctor practice. So the, the sure. this this um, this initiative, um, uh, the end result of this was a uh, very well produced video. Um, by uh, Levick and Associates, that uh, really uh, cut to the the heart of what the message was of this meeting, which is that we we as physicians want to do the best for you, the patients, but our hands are tied. Free us up and let us let us work. Let us do what we want to do so that we can. Help you, help us to help you, and the video- yeah. I think
2: the video was 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 excellent. It's, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, timing wise. It's about six minutes. It's got, I want to say, five physicians and their vignettes, including myself, mm-hmm. which I'm honored to be a part of, um, remarking on how medicine has changed over recent decades and how it's gone from do no harm to to the patient to do harm to the patient because third parties and government demand it. And that's just purely not acceptable. And the important thing, uh, as you have pointed out in the past, and will continue to point out, is is the people have to get involved. It can't just be doctors. It can't just be uh, any one group or person. It has to be everybody. Everybody, who, everybody is a patient at one time or another and has to advocate for their ability to get what they want, buy what they want, do what they want and and accept their own consequences for all of those things.
1: And it, you know, and you're 100% right about that, Craig, and, and people need to get involved. I encourage everyone, everyone to please go to d4pcfoundation.org. There's a tab at the top that says Let My Doctor Practice and click on that. The video will come up and you'll see Dr. Craig Wax, open up the video very eloquently and uh, say what he just said, plus more. It's a YouTube video. We need this to go viral. This is the kind of thing that really is going to make a big difference, bigger than you can imagine, because the next step in the uh, Let My Doctor Practice initiative is going to be a campaign that we hope to launch called Three's a Crowd. can you uh, you know you know about that, Craig? Don't you?
2: I do. We've had several meetings, and I don't know several hundred thousand emails <laughs> that that I'm uh, uh, I'm, I'm keeping. Um, uh, having said all of that, so what does um, that I mean?
1: Have, what does that mean? Three's a yeah. crowd.
2: Well, if I if I'm free to talk about it, you um, can you
1: can you can just the, mention it. Sure.
2: Yeah, the idea is is that when we're in the exam room, it's a very very um, personal experience with a patient and a physician and the patient reveals everything about themselves that they're comfortable revealing and the physician you know listens and reveals things about themselves and try to come to some arrangement on what the diagnosis and treatment plan and even the health maintenance plan is to be because I practice prevention pretty much I'd rather
1: One keep my quick. patients
2: well than, than help them uh, you know, when they're sick and in the hospital, um, I, I'd rather them be, you know, well. And I, I think they share that vision with me. Having said all of that, three's a crowd is is when when you're in the exam room, Dr. Schurz, I'm sure you feel the same way. You've got an insurance executive in the room denying things. You've got a lawyer in the room saying, say this, don't say that, nope, you can't say this, can't say that. And then you've got the government, the state government in the room saying, Well, you're licensed here, so you have to do this, you have to do that, you can't do that, can't do that. And now we've got the Fed in the room because of Obamacare or what I call the Unaffordable Careless Act because it was both unaffordable, careless, and it was passed on a Christmas Eve weekend when, you know, um, all of the favors in D.C. were flying and um, people weren't able to watch or debate or even discuss what was potentially to be. So it was a huge, huge sellout of, of all parties and patients and physicians by the federal government. Um, uh, unfortunately, uh, a party, uh, Congress and the uh, president, very, very sad, very sad that we went in that direction and, at that time. And we're going to so break right now, though. The other party gotta... that you have in the room, of course, now, because Obamacare all rests on the IRS as its bag man. So now you have an IRS person in the room. So now you've got six degrees of separation with you, the, the half dozen other folks in the room, and the patient sitting across the room looking at the floor. So the idea is, is the, um all of those other parties I talked about are kind of embodied with Mean Mr. Three. That is to say this third party character that just says, can't have this, can't have that, not paying this, not paying that. And the idea is, is to kick it out of the room.
1: And the third
2: just... party monster right. has to be kicked out of the room and told to wait outside and put in its place while the patient's business is done.
1: Absolutely, and we'll we'll come back and talk about that and a little bit more when we get back in the doctor's lounge.
5: The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's foundation. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you.
4: This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings at 9 o'clock for Medicine on Call. On Medicine on Call, we talk about more than medicine. It's about how to take control of your mind, body, and spirit. Are your health insurance premiums going up? You are not alone. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org to understand why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. This is Grace Marie Turner, President of the Galen Institute. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org.
0: You're listening to americaswebradio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: You're back in the doctor's lounge. Your host today, Dr. Hal Schurz, our special guest, Dr. Craig Wax, uh, a uh, medical uh, freedom fighter from New Jersey and uh, talk show host in his own right. We've been talking about a variety of topics. the next thing I'd like to talk about, Craig, is um, a topic that I know is very near and dear to you, which has to do with the uh, physician well-being, which I think is very important f- because if the physicians are not um, healthy, both of body and mind, they can't do a good job for your, for the patients. And, um You recently uh, wrote an article in Medical Economics called Physicians Abuse, Ignored, and Silenced No More, and you were a speaker for um, the the National uh, Solidarity Day um, and talked about uh, some of this, about uh, the suicide uh, rate in in physicians. I wanted to cover this because I think um, mental health is an area that gets very little attention and... uh, and it needs the, it needs more attention. We we uh, seem to brush this aside. Um, you, uh, you 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 uh, wanted to uh, call attention and shine light uh, on this and the causes for this.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, the the leader in the field is Dr. Pamela Weibel, who out of uh, the West Coast, Oregon, I believe, um, she has kind of championed the idea of uh... doctors working for patients and she found herself around two thousand um, depressed, working for big organizations, not able to care for patients, not having meaningful patient-physician relationships, and just kind of at the end of a rope. And she had to do some soul-searching, and she designed what she called was the ideal medical practice. And uh, if you Google ideal medical practice or Pamela Wible W-I-B-L-E, you'll find that she had three town hall meetings with her patients and said, okay, I want to work for you guys. What do you guys want? And we'll work it out. And she actually worked out a, I guess you'd call it direct primary care. She's one of the one leaders of the in that without, without the name or the benefit of knowing that others are doing it too. Um, having said all of that, uh, that's where she came into it. And she found that her training was ugly and mean and horrible and multiple hours and you know, and uh, you know, none of us minded doing call and this kind of thing. You know, doing what everybody does to kind of, uh, you know, learn the craft. However, um, my a colleague of mine, um, who's an interventional radiologist, wanted to do surgery initially, and on his first month of surgical residency, he was on call 29 out of 30 days. So he was on, thir- he was on 29 and off one. And if you think about it, if you take that over months and years, uh, that can cause lots of health problems. I mean, and it trickles down, forgive the pun, to urologic problems, to your field, but in my field, uh, cardiovascular problems, sleep apnea, hypertension, causes anxiety, causes depression, even erectile dysfunction, hey, there's another one of your (laughs) fields. Uh, heart attacks, strokes all kinds of bad things and our and our profession is causing this you know not to mention when you get out to practice your profession everybody wants to certify you to death and cost you a bunch of money and profit off of that and third parties don't want to pay you for your jobs hospitals don't want to pay you for your jobs Um, the government the VA doesn't want to pay you medicare medicaid you can even forget about because you can't even participate with it because you can't see a patient for nineteen dollars when it costs you more than that just to run your office and pay staff. So so physicians have been abused and ignored and silenced. In fact, um, uh, a lot of physicians at um, AAPS like Dr. Kempen and what have you, are, are and uh, uh, Dr. Um, Huntoon, um, who's a neurologist from New York State, I believe, uh, has also talked about... Uh, what they, they there's an issue where hospitals and things discriminate uh, against physicians. You know they they say you know hey you guys are too noisy. We need to pipe you guys down. So we need to say that you're unprofessional or conduct disruptive. These witch disruptive. Hunts. Um, say again.
1: Disruptive. disruptive yes, correct.
2: Physicians. They call them disruptive because we're we're out to champion patients' causes over all else. Um, and what happens is. The big hospital systems discriminate against people, even as attending physicians that are licensed and um, have the autonomy, supposedly, to work for patients. So they conduct these witch hunts, and they try to run doctors out of town on rails, and it's, 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 it's a terrible situation. So physicians are responding in, in uh, positive ways, but also when they break, in negative ways. And between medical students um, residents and attending physicians. Um, the generally accepted number is 400 physician suicides a year. In fact, prior to our conference, the Physician Solidarity Day um, to prevent physician suicide, um, I was at the I was at the Philadelphia meeting. Um, Dr. Weibel was in D.C. and then in New York State. There were um, uh, close to a dozen different. Uh, locations involved. Philadelphia was the closest to me. Um, And I gave my seven-minute speech, which is available on my YouTube channel called Health is Number One. That's what the channel is called. It's called Physicians Abused, Ignored, and Silenced No More. And I talk in seven minutes about all of the stressors from the beginning of medical school where you're put a half a million dollars in debt and you're told to perform or get out. Um, all the way through to all of the third-party and government problems that cause physician suicide. And a lot of the uh, so-called physician leadership organizations um, are saying, well, you know, there's physician burnout and yada, yada, yada. Well, residents shouldn't be jumping off hospital towers to their death. So that's not a burnout issue. That's frankly an abuse
1: issue. Le- Craig, let me let me challenge this for just a second, and, Please. I, and I, I don't think that this is a a um, uh, uh, a, uh, a a real challenge. But but I, I I think that the physician suicide rate is um, as if we if we accept four hundred deaths a year, it's less than the actual CDC numbers for the suicide rate in this country, which is increasing. It's, in fact, between 1999 and 2014, the suicide rate has increased about 100%. It went from 1% in 1999 to 2006 to 2%. In 2006 to 2014, and the CDC, you know, ranks suicide as the third leading cause of death in 10 year old to 14 year olds, second leading wow. cause in 15 to 34 year olds, fourth leading cause in 35 to 44 year olds. More, moreover, um, in certain groups, the suicide rate is higher than than the the average rate in in um, in post. Men, uh, um, post up uh, um, uh, uh, in, in women who have delivered, uh, right. th- post, uh, postpartum. Postpartum, yeah. their their suicide rates have gone up, and and thirty three percent of of suicide victims, were tested positive for alcohol, twenty four percent for antidepressants, and twenty percent for opioids. So, with that as a backdrop. Isn't right. the physician suicide rate just a reflection of what we're seeing in society in general?
2: Well, that's that, that's indeed a fair question. And, uh, you know, you definitely have to bring data and the light of day to everything. And I, I certainly appreciate you having done your homework on that. The issue that I think is is that the number that we generally accept is 400. However, I think it's grossly underreported. I mean, those are... The ones that get out into the media that we can actually count, because the issues are med schools don't want to talk about physician suicide because it's it's embarrassing and forgive the bad pun mortifying to them. You know that it's hard to sell you know uh, quarter million dollar seats at their schools if you know people are killing themselves at their schools, which happens. Um, same thing with hospitals. Hospitals. Want to blame the victim? They don't want to blame the abuser, which can be them.
1: C- clear, um, clearly, I agree. But even if we say it's ten times as great, which would be four thousand physicians, the rate would that would be point six percent of all physicians, which is still less, far less than the av- the rate in the country. So I'm, I, I maintain. That we're talking about a mental health issue in society that nobody likes to talk about. It's sort of oh, like- there's
2: no, there's no question because depression is. Although there's lots of uh, education about it and lots of possibilities, I think because the economy is so dismal, government mm-hmm. is taking over more and more and more parts of our lives, and unfortunately, the, the American ideal is being smashed to bits. I mean, the the Constitution is is is, is being put aside um, to, to 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 be as least unpleasant as possible for your listeners. Um, all of our rules and laws in the country are just being put aside, and and people are feeling the stresses. People are saying, you know, the American a dream of me starting with nothing and winding up with something and making myself my family and my community proud um doesn't exist anymore because the government has picked winners and losers for decades they started the whole problem with health insurance back during the war powers act of 1941 and made employers um get the tax-free benefit of health insurance They created that calamity that that came to the HMO pinnacle of destruction in the 90s when hospitals were buying practices. And by 2000, hospitals were coughing them up left, right, and center, we can't do this anymore. And now we're starting all over again with ACA or Obamacare, or as I call it, the Unaffordable Careless Act, and we're just pitching good money after bad on systems that don't work, like the VA system, which I've published on um, multiple times.
1: So, you know, this is this is a great uh, time to take a break on a, uh, before we get to our last segment. You've uh, brought up the insurance companies, and when we come back, we'll discuss... Um, the uh, problems with the insurance companies, you've written about this recently, as have I, and we'll close the show with uh, some of the problems that we're seeing right now come to fruition with the insurance companies and the health care exchanges falling apart when we get back into the doctor's lounge.
0: Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like.
4: Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org.
5: Thank you.
0: You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: And this is the final segment in the Doctor's Lounge. I hope that you're enjoying our show. Thanks for staying with us and my guest, Dr. Craig Wax. I think we're having a a very spirited discussion on various topics that uh, doctors talk about in the Doctor's Lounge all across the country. So uh, please... uh, Make sure that you tune in each week so you can uh, continue to get this um, great information that we love for, uh, to provide for you. In the last segment, what I wanted to cover was um, what we're seeing almost daily in the newspapers, uh, stories about the insurance exchanges um, going under in various states, the state um, and federal cooperatives. Uh, w- seeing insurance companies leave the insurance exchanges, seeing some states with only one choice, seeing insurance premiums go up as much as 60% in some parts of the country. Um, I wrote about this in town hall um, last week in the first of a three-part series, um, Craig Wax wrote about it in uh, on Kevin MD uh, just a couple weeks ago about um, uh, six degrees of patient-physician separation, which is really about the insurance uh, um, oligopoly as well. Um, uh, the insurance companies are losing money, aren't they, Craig? That's why they they're leaving the insurance exchanges.
2: Well, it's 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 interesting. Um, Yes and no, Um, uh, small yes and big no. That is to say that the insurance industry went along with the whole Obamacare fiasco because they were told that the the government was going to force everybody to buy a policy. So the government did what the government always does, is they promised something to everybody and uh, over-promised and under-delivered to everybody. Having said all of that, they promised the insurance industry every Adult will buy a policy from you, so the insurance industry said, Well, okay, well, we'll let you put on some rules at that point. We're not going to fight you, however, everybody's going to buy a policy, and uh, somehow, I don't know how it passed muster of the Constitution with the um, Supreme Court, and there's a lot of chicanery and a lot of uh, thoughts on how um, Judge Roberts turned two weeks before um he was against the whole thing uh initially and turned to be for it within 2 weeks of delivering um after 6 months of being fer- fervently opposed but at any rate a, ho- a whole other issue um more than half of the co-ops that you i and every other taxpayer and everybody who pays into medicare funded this imitation quote marketplace close quote um that government fashioned in its own image um, to force health insurance on everybody and the insurers all went along and now insurers are you know, uh, five years into this whole mess and they're like you know what, we're not making enough money in some of these markets so we're going to pull out and Aetna has pulled out and United Healthcare has pulled out and, and more than half of the exchanges that the government, we all paid to set up totally collapsed on themselves like a house of cards And I think we're witnessing what people have called the death spiral of Obamacare, but the government, unlike other private entities, doesn't know when to cut and run. The government says, well, more money, more debt, well, it'll work, it'll work, it'll work, just like the failing VA system. The government pours more and more and more and more and more into the same bad ideas um, and in what we call insanity, that is to say doing the same thing every day and expecting a different result tomorrow. Um, is what we've got. So, yes, on one hand, insurers are losing, quote that's in quotes, of course, money as to what they would usually make. However, they're still profiting ruthlessly in all other markets, and their CEOs are still making millions, if not billions of dollars um, off the sweat equity of every taxpayer in America. So it depends who you ask the question and uh, w- w- whose hogs being gored, as we say in South Jersey.
1: <laughs> you say that in South, you have hogs in South Jersey? <laughs>
2: uh, I, I actually live uh, uh, in a somewhat rural place in South Jersey, and I usually ride my bike every other day 25 miles, except today was a little different. I did an hour lap swim and a half hour yoga, because I have to be healthy in order to tell my patients how they can be healthy so it has to start with me and it has to encompass everybody in my practice it's called walking and,
1: the walk and talk the talk
2: that's the ticket just like yourself dr. Hurst.
1: so we you know we found that um, in in looking into this issue about the insurance companies the um, you know the, the the one thing that people forget is that they had a uh, a, a a golden parachute built into this where they were going to get uh, a uh, um, bailout a, a bailout for yep. making themselves for losing money and and make themselves whole so they really didn't care if they lost money on the exchanges but fortunately some uh, some people with guts in congress put the kibosh on that and so that money dried up and they're not getting it and so all of a sudden they're crying foul and they want And they're pulling out, out and, and which is out.
2: what it's it's interesting because they were set up to succeed in either way they were either success, set, set up to profit off everybody buying or if everybody doesn't buy don't worry we'll bail you out And when that didn't happen by some principal leaders in Congress, as you correctly point out, they're pulling out the big CEOs, Mr. Bertolini of Aetna, saying, sorry guys, can't play in these markets anymore.
1: Well, there's a third way that they profited, and they profited because they were responsible for upending the entire insurance industry. Insurance companies can only... Write policies that um, that
2: That fit the definition set forth by ACA.
1: So they they no longer can underwrite a policy in insurance. Company um, is able to remain profitable by assessing risk. Well, they're not able to use healthcare anymore as a risk assessor. They can only right, use age,
2: existing conditions, correct. smoking, That's, previous problems. No smoking.
1: Smoking they can use. Smoke because yeah. smoke. You know, smoking is very. You know, that that fits the mantra of what the government doesn't want to see. Uh, uh, exists. That's a bad thing. It's like, you know, it's like global warming. Smoke, tobacco companies are on the same page as that. But but that's an aside. But what they can do is they can price a, a policy three times higher for an older person than they can a younger person. So what what happens, the younger person who had the really inexpensive policies, would they bring down the premiums of the older people no they raise the younger premiums and as a result they're making record profits and there's
2: no reason that a 25 year old young person that's new well healthy takes care of themselves needs to pay twenty thousand dollars a year for a three hundred dollar physical no it just doesn't make sense
1: no and as a matter of fact that's a you know it's exactly why you're doing what you're doing craig and what we're doing Promoting the um, direct primary care because that kind of stuff needs to be separated from insurance.
2: Well, yeah, it's interesting. And you know what? I'm not opposed to insurance as it was originally you know, uh, conceptualized 100 years ago. It's a small premium made every month that covers only catastrophic stuff, the big ticket items. It doesn't cover small things like a visit to your doctor for $75 or $100. It doesn't cover a generic prescription for $10. It's just like auto insurance. It doesn't cover it doesn't cover a scratch on the side of your car it doesn't cover a flat tire it doesn't cover gas it doesn't tell you where to get your oil changed it kicks in when you have an over five hundred to a thousand dollar loss and that way they keep the policies reasonably priced but because a c a came in and told the insurance companies you can only sell in these three narrow risk bands The whole industry has doubled um, in in cost for everybody, and the young people are paying the biggest price on the whole thing. In fact, our our local Blue Cross Blue Shield called Horizon, prior to Obamacare six years ago, used to sell 144 different policies on the individual market and the employer market, and now they sell, drumroll please, 14 policies policies in three narrow bands of coverage, it's, and they did away with the basic and essential, the $5,000 a year young person's uh, catastrophic policy, and that was the best and most important
1: cost-effective way to do it. Let's put, it, let's put this into perspective f- with real numbers. One of, one of my friends, a uh, good friend of Docs for Patient Care who's been on this show many times, Dr. Jeffrey English, is a neurologist here in Atlanta. And he was sharing with me his health care exposure. He pays $24,000 for his health care policy for his family. He has a $12,000 deductible, family wow. deductible. So that means that he has to spend $36,000. Is, this is after-tax dollars before $1 of health care benefits kicks in.
2: Absolutely. So you have to spend more than 30 grand to get dollar one out of the policy. It doesn't make any sense. Makes no Insurance sense. is a bet that you won't have a catastrophe. Right. Insurance is not a bet that, you know, um you'll, they'll pay for your, uh, your, uh, toothpaste. It's not, it's not realistic. It's, it's again the government. The government has two rules for everything, Dr. Schurz. The rules are regulate it now understand it never and <laughs> under regulate it now includes tax it now
1: yes yes if it moves tax it
0: <laughs>
2: right ab- absolutely if it doesn't uh, then then you've got to give it taxpayer money
1: is your practice a direct primary care practice greg
2: my practice is a direct practice um where i try to work directly for patients. We still do accept some insurances and things. Unfortunately, there's a lot of managed care in New Jersey, so people are willing to pay for services, but, well, I need a referral, I need to insurance this, I need to appeal that, and unfortunately, there's not a lot of -of out-of-network benefit because Obamacare stripped that away, and in New Jersey, there are no real insurance plans for sale, Period. So what we do is is we work most efficiently for people that don't have insurance or refuse to buy insurance and refuse what the government is trying to pull the wool over everybody's eyes um, we charge a, a, a fee for the for our visits a, a very economical fee we can get labs inexpensively we can get radiology expensively inexpensively we can even get um, Specialty care inexpensively. For example, an X-ray at and the Children's
1: we're, we're, Hospital we're of Philadelphia, the University
2: of, of Pennsylvania, a spine X-ray, is over $1,100 Right for an X-ray. It's, it's now, crazy. You cash, know. I can get you that X-ray for $40.
1: And that's, and that's the way it should be, and that's what we are promoting and what you're promoting, Craig. And hopefully, God willing, we will see that before we stop practicing. Craig, it's been a real treat having you in the doctor's lounge today, and I hope that we can get you back here again.
2: Thanks again. Be well. Keep doing the great job you're doing for uh, America's health freedom.
1: Thank you so much, and uh, thank you for staying with us today. And uh, come back and join us again when we're here in the doctor's lounge.